Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Little T's Big Interviews. I am Tess Eggison, and today I will be interviewing an author, journalist, and biographer, Miss Alelia Bundles. You may know her for her most recent book, On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker. Hello, thank you so much for doing this. Shall we get started? Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. I said in my intro that you are an author and journalist. You also describe yourself as a truth seeker. Can you tell me what being a truth seeker means to you? Tess, you know, sometimes people will say they're truth tellers. And I think being a truth teller is very important. But I would say I aspire to be a truth teller. You want to do your research and be able to tell the truth and talk about sometimes controversial issues. But as a journalist, I consider myself a truth seeker because I like to have the facts first and then I try to tell the truth. That's really interesting. You've reported on many stories and written about lots of things, but are especially well known for writing about the legacy of your great-great-grandmother, Madam C.J. Walker. For our listeners who are still learning, who was Madam Walker? So Madam C.J. Walker, the short version, the elevator version of her story, is that she was born Sarah Breedlove in 1867 in Delta, Louisiana, on the same cotton plantation where her parents and older siblings had been enslaved. But she was the first child in her family born free after the Civil War. She was orphaned at seven. She moved in with her older sister and she said her brother-in-law was so cool to her that she got married at a really young age, at 14, to get a home of her own. She had her only child, Leah, at 17, and her husband, Moses McWilliams died when she was 20. She moved up the river to St. Louis where her older brothers had moved a decade earlier. They were barbers. They belonged to St. Paul African Methodist Episcopal Church. And Sarah Breedlove McWilliams was a struggling washerwoman with very little education. But the women of the church began to give her a vision of herself as something other than an illiterate washerwoman. And by the time she died, she had found the hair care company that provided employment for thousands of African-American women. She had become a millionaire who used her money as a philanthropist and a patron of the arts and a political activist. That's really interesting. I had no idea. I did a school project on Madam Walker and Indiana Avenue, so it's great to hear it from you. Well, you know, and I grew up in Indianapolis, and my mother went to work every day when I was growing up at that building at 617 Indiana Avenue, the building that's now the Madam Walker Legacy Center. So Mm -hmm. I grew up surrounded by things that had belonged to Madam Walker, the silverware that we used every day, had her monogram, we used her china on special occasions, and the baby grand piano that was in our living room had belonged to her daughter. So I knew about these famous relatives, but I really didn't start doing research about them until my senior year in high school and then when I was in college. Wow. Uh, what do you wish people knew about your great-great-grandmother that they might not? Well, I think that sometimes people know that she's a person who created a hair care company. And she was a pioneering woman entrepreneur. That, for me, is really important. But I love the fact that she used her money and her influence to empower other women. 
and help them become economically independent. And to give them this, to plant this seed for them that, e that being successful is important. Making money is a good thing, but it's what you do with that money that really determines how you're prepared. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important to learn about Black history. Black history is American history. What are some good resources for our youngest listeners to learn about Black well, history? You're absolutely right. Black history is American history. And when I was growing up and I went to North Central High School in, in Indianapolis, there was no Black history in my classes. So my senior year, a group of us encouraged the school to have a humanities course on Black history. So that was 1970. That was a really long time ago. And now there are many resources uh, for learning Black history. Fortunately, there are lots and lots of books, lots of websites where people can learn. And I think one great place to start is the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture. Going to their website is a good place to start. But also, the Indiana Historical Society. If the Indiana Historical Society has more than 40,000 documents and photographs from the Madam Walker Company, and it's digitized and online. So that's a really great place to start. That's awesome. I go to school in Washington Township, which is where you grew up. Do you think schools like mine have a unique opportunity to learn about Black history since they are located in a place where so much history happened? I think any place you live has lots of Black history. And sometimes it's just a matter of digging it out. Uh, there are people in the community who know history, who are older, who can tell you stories. In Indianapolis, at, on Indiana Avenue, there are people who, are, who work with the Madam Walker Legacy Center. There's a woman at, uh, Indi at the Indiana Historical Society, Susan Dotson, who is... Um, works with a lot of the African-American collections. But no matter where you live, there's Black history. Like the street that I grew up on, Grandview Drive, uh, is Black history because that was a Black community. That my, when my parents moved to Grandview Drive in 1958, that was a Black community. There were families who were moving in, building new homes. And historically, it's, it's interesting to really learn about that. One great resource for that is um, it's blogs that have been created by Paul Mullins, who is a professor at IUPUI. And he's written uh, articles about black suburban neighborhoods, black suburbia, and he's interviewed some of the people who lived in those homes and who built those homes. So there's history all around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be a journalist? Well, you know, from a pretty young age, when I was eight years old, I wrote a short story um, in my third grade class, and I, it was about going to the moon. And so this was about 1960. This is before men had walked on the moon. And this was just in my imagination. And one of my mother's friends, who was a school teacher, thought it was a really good story, and she sent it to a children's magazine. So I had a story published when I was eight years old, which made me feel like I was a writer. And when I got to junior high school at Westlake Junior High School in seventh, my seventh grade science class during the first week of school, my science teacher passed out five by eight index cards. And he asked us to put our parents' names and their phone number, I guess in case we got in trouble. And then he asked us to put our hobbies. 
And I put writing. And he suggested that I try out for the school newspaper. Well, that really was a significant moment in my life because I started working for the school newspaper. It was a really excellent newspaper. Jim Gasho was our advisor. He had high standards. He entered us in national contests, which we won competing against high school newspapers. And that made me think of myself as a journalist. So from the age of eight, I thought of myself as a writer. And from the age of 12, I thought of myself as a journalist. Wow. I really want to be a journalist, so I find that super interesting. Well, you are already (laughs) on your way. The fact that you're doing a podcast shows that you have the initiative and the curiosity, and you already are asking (laughs) great questions. So you are are on your way. (laughs) Thank you. You have said our stories are our power. I write the books I wish had been written for me. Who is the hour in that quote? Well, our is all of us. And I think it's especially true for women and for people of color because a lot of times our stories have been left out or sometimes even intentionally erased. But when we excavate those family stories, when we excavate history, we find out where we fit in the American narrative. And once we know that, I think it's very hard for people to diminish us and to make us think that we're not important, that what our families and what our ancestors have done is not important. You know, one example that I'll give you, my high school history textbook really didn't mention women who were doing significant things. It didn't mention people of color who were doing significant things. The only time black people were mentioned in my history books uh, were as enslaved people, really, they were said slaves. And it said that they were contented and better off as slaves because they were clothed and fed. Well, that was a one um, school of thought for historians, but it, I knew it was inaccurate when I was in high school, but I didn't have my own information. Therefore, I didn't have my own power to speak up and to push back. But after years later, I began to learn not just about my family, but about other people, about people like Frederick Douglass or Mary Tubman. I also learned that I had relatives who were soldiers in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War, black men who were three people of color. I learned that I had other relatives who were in the Civil War who were soldiers. Another great-great-grandfather who had been uh, elected to the state legislature in Arkansas during Reconstruction. So in addition to Madam Walker, there were all of these other amazing people that I knew nothing about until I started doing the research. And I think that's true. Every family has people like that they just may not know about. Thank you for sharing that. Could you tell me about a time you received validation from a fan that you had filled the gap you felt as a young reader? Oh, wow. You know, just when you wrote to me, (laughs) that was That made me feel really good. There's, you know, I get to talk to a lot of people. I mean, it's sometimes it's students at Harvard Business School. Sometimes it's uh, people at, you know, big conferences. But I think one of the things that I love the most is when someone young is really interested in knowing history. So the email that I received from you made me feel like maybe my message is getting out there. So thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. Um, Have you ever been nervous to do a broadcast or interview? And what do you do to calm your nerves? You know, I haven't been nervous in a long time. Um, 
But I, I do remember when I made one of my first speeches, and this is many years ago, this was probably in the 1980s, and you've heard the name Alex Haley, who wrote the book Roots, and Alex Haley was a friend and a mentor for me. I was living in Atlanta, happened to be visiting Atlanta, and I had a speech the next day at Spelman College, which is the college that my grandmother actually went to. And I was really nervous about it, and he said, you know, just take a deep breath, go out on stage, and just tell stories. And if you tell stories, that will keep people's attention. And so I was still kind of nervous when I did it, but that's always stayed with me. And now, you know, thousands of speeches later, I don't really get nervous anymore because I think what I want to do is, is tell some stories and I hope things that will be interesting to people. And then always in the back of my mind, I'm confident that I, Madam Walker's story inspires other people. And that's really my goal. It's not just to fill them up with a lot of facts and a lot of information, but to find a way to inspire them and maybe to help them see themselves in the story. That's wonderful. What different skills do you use when sharing news and information on TV versus in a book or article? Well, that, that's a really good question. You know, when I'm working on a book, and I would say right, you know, right beside me, this is the chapter 37 oh, wow. of the book that I'm working on right now, that when I'm writing a book, a lot of what I, I get to do a lot of research. And so what chapter might start out being 20 pages with all of the information and it. But by the time I whittle it down and decide what I don't need, it, it might be 10 pages. So a book really takes a lot of research, over-research in order to get the facts. But the book is kind of my foundation for when I am doing an interview or when I'm on television. And because I'm so grounded in the facts, then I can just tell the bullet points. I can just tell the stories and try to keep it short. I mean, I think one of the things that has been helpful to me that because I've worked in television news as a producer for 30 years, and I was working on short minute and a half pieces, five minute pieces, sometimes 12 minute pieces, I learned to tell a story in short bites. And I also learned what people call, you know, what people call sound bites, that you don't want to talk for four minutes without letting up. And sometimes if you can say the most important thing that you have to say in 15 or 20 seconds or 30 seconds, then you keep people's attention. That's really interesting. Unfortunately, our time is almost up. So do you mind if I ask you one more question? Absolutely. Great. I know there was a movie about your great-great-grandmother on Netflix, so I bet you watched that. But I'd actually love to know what else you like to watch on TV. So, you know, that was a very complicated uh, matter for me because the movie, the series with Octavia Spencer self-made was inspired by my book. But that means that Hollywood did a lot of changing and they did a lot of creative license. Octavia Spencer was great, but the story was really pretty inaccurate. It wasn't really about a longer story other than her name and, you know, a few so I would like to do that story differently, and I'm working on some other things. But the things that I like to watch on television, I really like documentaries. Um, and I, you know, because I think because I worked in news for a long time, 
I'm really interested in history. Um, Stanley Nelson is a documentary filmmaker whose work I like. It's very first film. Two Dollars in a Dream was about Madame Walker. His grandfather was Madame Walker's attorney in Indianapolis. So people can watch Two Dollars in a Dream on YouTube. Ken Burns does great uh, documentaries. Ava DuVernay. So I like documentaries. I also like, you know, a really good movie. Uh, but I also love good books. And I just finished reading um, The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum about a young African-American violinist whose violin is stolen. I recently read um, Walter Moses' book, The Last Days of Ptolemy Frank. And that's been made into a series. So I, I like comparing the movies and the books to each other. Those sound really fun. Well... Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. My sources include aleliabundles.com, daughterdialogues.com, thehistorymakers.org, and her book, On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker. Thank you to Miss Alelia Bundles for doing this. You can find her novel On Her Own Ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker, anywhere you buy your books or at aleliabundles.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll have another Little Tease Big interview out shortly. <laughs>